I'm Kelsey. I'm Cassie. And I'm Nolan from SCP Weekly. We bring you news from on-site and off-site. And we share your love for the creative community that surrounds the SCP Wiki. Join us on Tuesdays for new episodes, wherever you listen to podcasts, or on YouTube at SCP Weekly. Welcome to the library, Wanderer. Our rules are three. Respect your fellow patrons. Do not damage the library. Return your books on time. You'll need a card to check out, of course. See the front desk for that. It should be just under a week's journey from here. You'll have to give the archivist your true name, but don't worry. We'll keep it under the strictest levels of security. Oh, and stay away from locked doors. There are places here where even we will not protect you. We would like to extend a special thanks to our associate producers, Dr. Theron Sherman, Sogapple, Adrian, Ethan Childers, Uncertainty Crossing, Angie Oriana, Cameron Schaus, Lisa Person, and Salem. What you are hearing is the result of their generous support. Now please, sit back and enjoy The Journal of Aphromos Long Journey. Marde. 15th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn, 11th day in the trees. For the first time since entering the woods, I met another person, I think. It was a small creature, only slightly larger than Rising Whistle Two Clicks had been. It had a long tube-like body with six long, attenuated limbs ending in three fingers. It moved as though it had no bones. It had two eyes with large black pupils and two dark spots above them that might have been another pair of eyes. Its mouth was just a slash across the oval head. It had no nose. I would have taken it for an animal if it had not covered itself in old, greying rags. I do believe this is a larval sphingid. The young ones tend to be very shy until they've metamorphosed into their adult form. Once they have the scaled wings and feathery antennae their species is famous for, they become much more daring, and attracted to bright lights, of course. It was shambling forward on four of its limbs when I came across it. It stopped short when it noticed me, and raised itself upon two limbs, keeping four free. We regarded each other for a moment, and then I said, Hello. It fell backwards, catching itself on its arms, and then scrambled away as fast as it could, backwards and upside down. It was in the bushes in a trice, and I could hear it moving up the trees. I wonder why it was so afraid of me. Perhaps it simply didn't answer me. I caught a glimpse of another interesting creature, if only for a moment. 
Suja and I were bending down to a stream to drink when we saw a small furry shape leave the water momentarily. Its short fur was dark brown and it had short, stout limbs ending in webbed feet. Its tail was flat and like a paddle. I might have supposed it was a relative of the otter, save that it had a beak instead of a snout. It was a broad, flat beak, like a waterbird's. Almost certainly a platypus, Ornithorhynchus anatinus, also called a duckbill or watermole. Before I could get a closer look at it, it suddenly dashed back into the water and swam away before I could see more of it. What a curious place this is. Sky Day, 15th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn, 12th day in the trees. Suja has made a complete recovery. When she is not riding in my pack, she is exploring everything around us and otherwise making a complete nuisance of herself. Occasionally, she cries out to be rescued from dangerous insects or suspicious leaves, but she is otherwise fearless. Today, in fact, she made her first kill. I was still half asleep when I heard a small commotion in the corner of our campsite near my pack. I wondered what had happened when Suja marched up to me, something in her mouth. She proudly dropped her package at my feet, and I found that she had caught a rat. It was much smaller than she, but I am still very happy for her. She is a hunter in her bones. And again, Aphromos misses a perfectly good opportunity to describe a valuable specimen. What I wouldn't give to know what sort of rat it was. I found more evidence of people today. Where the path met a river, someone had constructed a wooden bridge. It was too narrow for me to use, and I had to wade across, but it was heartening to see that someone else used this path. Suja rode on the top of my head, huddled under my hood. My head would have looked very strange had there been anyone there, seeming much larger than it really is. We were soon across, and Suja jumped down and began to clean herself, as though the river or my hood had offended her, and she needed to wash them away. Rock Day, 15th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn. Morning, 13th day in the trees. Someone was in our campsite. I have checked through all of my bags, and it's puzzling. Nothing has been taken or even disturbed. I heard nothing all through the night. Neither Suja nor I have been harmed. Indeed, I would not have known anyone had been here, except that they left behind a book, a string of glass beads, and a rattle. They were piled on a rock by the remains of the fire. There were no tracks in the dirt that I could make out, and they would have had to walk very close to me to leave them there. It is very puzzling. The beads are in alternating bands of red, blue, yellow, and orange. There are 36 beads in total, and the string is just long enough to wrap around my wrist. The rattle is made of a yellow clay, though I am not sure what is inside it. It is painted in a pattern of green lines. Two brown feathers are tied to it by a leather thong. 
What its purpose might be, I cannot guess. The book is old and worn. I had hoped it might give some clue to our guest, but its contents were mostly impossible to read. Some lines were legible, but never enough to give more than a brief glimpse in the narrative. It appears that a wombat features heavily, whatever that may be. Wombats are mythical creatures, full of allegorical import. Terran and Sensible, based on the descriptions of the ancient scholar Heron the Elder, believes they were actually dwarfs seen at great distances while drunk. Other phrases I could read include the stone egg swallowed by the frog, baking in fear, and remember Tunnel 17. My father's longest legible entry is a piece of doggerel. Hearken to the shad, and then something illegible. Born of strange and darkling light, in the midst of forests wild, see the beasts, beware their fright. There is also a picture that appears to be of two mice carrying something away from a dragon, perhaps? I cannot glean anything from the book as yet. I will look at it further in the evening. I cannot help but worry, though. If one creature, however benign, made it into our campsite without my knowledge, what else might find its way in? Rock Day, 15th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn. Evening, 13th day in the trees. The weather cooled considerably today. It was not cold, but nor was it very warm. It changed very abruptly, and when it did, so too did the trees. They are tall and twisted like all trees I have seen in this place. But unlike all other trees I have seen, they do not have leaves. They have long green needles. Occasionally, I see what looks like a pineapple made from wood peeking out of a cluster of these needles. Their bark looks grey and leprous. We are camped in a copse by the path. Suja is sporting with small furry animals that run up and down the trees. They have grey fur and bushy tails. I suspect these are squirrels, a creature not too dissimilar from Falscree. Unlike the Falscree, squirrels do not sing, nor are they inclined to discuss the finer points of wind instruments. So far, they have eluded her. Occasionally, one will scold her from a perch in the branches above. I did see one larger animal today. It was something like the horses the Dejaro ride but was slender and more graceful. Its fur was brown, lighter on its underside. It had two horns on its head, but the strangest horns I had ever seen. They split into many smaller ones, like tree branches. I half expected to see leaves sprouting from it. Deer are fairly common in the Ravelwoods. There are more than 60 species catalogued, from the swamp-dwelling chameleon deer to the carnivorous blood deer. The specimen Aphromos saw was a buck, but I cannot place the species. Unfortunately, before I could get a better look at it, the wind shifted and it caught our scent. With a leap, it bounded away into the underbrush. I wish I could have seen more of it, for it truly was a beautiful animal. After I made camp, 
I studied the book further. There are occasional words I can make out, but frustratingly little. What is any of it supposed to mean? Why was it left in our campsite? There must have been a reason. If it was simply rubbish being thrown away, then there are surely better ways to do so than sneaking into a stranger's camp like a thief. Frustrated by the book, I examined the heads further. So far as I am able to tell, they are nothing more than a decoration. The rattle seems no different than a Conlin's toy, save for the feathers tied to it. What makes them so important? Perhaps I am simply reading too much into it. Perhaps it was someone's idea of a joke or a strange sort of charity. I suppose with my robes in such disrepair, I must look like a beggar. Still, I find it unsettling that they were left without my knowledge. Beer Day, 15th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn, 14th day in the trees. Snow. I have heard of it, of course, but I had never seen it before. I hadn't been certain at first, when I saw the small drifts in the shadows of bushes and rocks, but when I touched it, it was cold as first night, and turned into water in my hands. Temperatures do occasionally reach freezing in the barrow, but the atmospheric conditions needed to make it snow are extremely unlikely. I had noticed it had been getting colder as I walked, but I had not thought anything of it. But seeing snow, I realized that it must be colder. How is this possible, when it was so hot only a cycle ago? I had not thought I had travelled so far. I thought to keep going through, but soon the snow was getting ever deeper, even reaching into places where the sun fell. When the path was no longer clear of it, I had to turn back. My robes are not enough to keep me warm here. It's entirely possible that Aphromos had reached the wintered lands at this point. If so, turning back was his best option. It's no place to go unprepared. Until I can find a place to get something warmer, I will need to turn back. It will mean backtracking a cycle, but I have time. It will mean chancing more encounters with the intruder, but it cannot be helped. Perhaps I will find something that will be of some help. At least I know most of the dangers on the way, as well as good places to camp. I should be able to make the return trip without incident. Skull Day, 15th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn, 15th day in the trees. I have gotten lost, somehow. The past must have branched at some point, and I took the wrong turn. I have gone back down the path, but I do not recognize where I am now. I am still among the trees with green needles, but these are giant, larger than any other I have seen so far. Their bark is red-brown in contrast to the grey of the other needle trees I saw. They are more than three times as thick as I am tall. I'm quite confident that this is the Ravelwoods subspecies of Sequoia, among the largest trees known. They are second only to the Mimimede. They grow apart from each other, as though these giants did not want to crowd each other. Some trees grow in between, but not many. The light is dim, blocked by the massive branches above us. 
I have seen wind-broken branches that could crush a person as thin as paper. With the branches so high above, and the great spaces between the trees, I feel as though I were an ant crawling in some giant's home. There are fewer birds here, and often there is silence, as though the forest stands in prayer. Only Suja breaks the silence, crying to be fed. I should go back, so I do not lose my way, but I worry about getting even more lost. I will continue onward for now. After all, I cannot go home until I complete my quest. If I manage to find what I'm looking for, then I will worry about finding my way. For now, my way is wherever the path takes me. I found something interesting by the path. There was a cleared area where few trees had grown. There were stones piled up in a wall around the clearing, and in the centre, a stove. The stones were old and weathered, and the bricks of the stove were crumbling. The stove was surrounded by bushes, like a very strange piece of statuary in a garden. I soon realised that I was seeing a ruin, even older than the one I had seen before. There had been a house there once, and it had crumbled entirely. The wall and the stove were all that had stood up to time and the elements. Everything else had rotted away or been scattered. Soon, the wall would be gone, and so too would the stove. Already there were gaps in the wall where falling branches or other misfortunes had broken it. Will I ever find a person I can speak to in these woods? Perhaps they have all left, or maybe they fell to disease. No, that is ridiculous. Even if I ignore the strange creature I encountered, someone must maintain this path, as well as the bridge I crossed. And there was also the intruder. It was no animal that left us these strange gifts. I simply have not yet encountered anyone who wishes to speak. In time, I will find the inhabitants of these woods, and I will speak with them. Erev Day 15th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn, 16th day in the trees. Wish carefully, the sages say. You never know who is listening. I hoped yesterday to find someone to speak to. Today, I met Torn Patch Jacket. This morning, I was walking down the path, chanting to myself and Suja. We were still in the dim, open spaces beneath the giant trees, and I wished to show respect to any gods who might be there. It seemed the sort of place where gods would linger. While I was chanting a variation of the chant of greetings, I felt a tap between my shoulder blades. I would like to say that Torn is a master of stealth, but the simple truth is that I was not paying attention. I turned around as quickly as I could and got my first look at him. My first impression was of an ape, which had lost most of its fur. However, his mouth is much smaller than an ape's, and he stands much more upright, with longer legs. His arms are short and thin compared to an ape's. The top, sides, and back of his head are covered with a silky brown fur, but his face and hands are bald. I learned later that most of his body is likewise bald, with a few tufts here and there. Why are humans found in so many diverse worlds so removed from each other? 
There are a number of theories. The Bertram Vickbroth hypothesis suggests an early human civilization that learned to span the multiverse. Ixtrot Misplore believes that it's simply a case of convergent evolution. Personally, I think it's because they stick their fingers into everything and breed like rabbits, with all due respect to the good Lagomites of the East. His clothing was a riot of colors. He was well named, for his jacket seemed to be made entirely from patches of brightly colored cloth, so that there was no telling what the original color may have been. His pants were only slightly less torn and repaired. He had a cloth cap on his head that was so bedecked in ribbons his head seemed as large as mine, though he is only as high as my waist. He bowed to me and removed his strange hat. My lord Grumbly, he said to me in a peculiar sing-song. Whatever is the matter? Troubled by a toothache? Or is it your clothing's in a tatter? It's a beautiful day in the woods, I'd say. So why should you darkly natter? I didn't understand his question. My spirits had been high as I listened to the birds and smelled the flowers. That was why I had been chanting, to show my happiness to the world. I said as much to him. How curious, he said. How strange. Thankfully, he spoke a bit more normally at this. Heaven's around us, he said. I could have sworn you were a manticore with a toothache, a centipede with sore feet, the way you carried on. It was then that I knew he was speaking of my chanting. I explained that no, it was a chant of joy, not of sorrow. He did not seem to believe me, but was polite about it. He then introduced himself as Torn Patch Jacket. He was a wandering fuel. I'm not certain what this entails, but it seems to be something like a minstrel or a storyteller. Rent Jagcoat was the name of a wandering jester, encountered by Ezran Goodlaw about 200 years before the time of Aphromos's pilgrimage. I wonder if they might be related somehow. I was struck by how full of energy he was. He danced while standing still, and he occasionally slipped into his sing-song rhyme. I asked him to sing for me, and he obliged. It was not terrible. It was not what I would call music, sloshing about like water, without the feel of sand in his voice like our singers have. Still, it was tolerable. His songs seemed to be about nothing in particular. I understood the words, for the most part, but I didn't understand what they were supposed to mean together. He asked if he might join me. I could hardly refuse. I do not own the road, and I cannot tell any person where he can or cannot walk. Still... I could almost wish I had. He sings constantly. Even while I'm sitting by the fire, he plucks the strings of a small wooden instrument and the words pour out of his mouth like froth, his voice giving them no weight. When he is not singing, he is asking me questions. About me, about my people, or about a particularly nice flower by the path. He asked me about nearly everything under the sun. I occasionally hint that it would be nice to have quiet for a moment, but he does not seem to have quite grasped the idea. I have never met anyone who spoke as much as this. This human. That is what he calls himself. A human. I have heard of them, of course, but I never realized they were so irritating. No, that is not fair. I do not know that other humans have been shaped by the same winds as Torn. 
He might be an aberration. I hope for the sake of those who live near other humans that this is so. Still, he seems kind enough. He is a good shot with his leather sling, and he caught enough to feed Suja. I caught a wild pig, which he helped roast over the fire. If he would be quiet for more than five minutes at a time, he would not be a terrible travelling companion. Crow Day, 15th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn, 18th day in the trees. I am glad today that Torn was with us. I still find him somewhat irritating, but I cannot ignore the fact that I would have been much worse off without his advice. We were walking down the road when it curved around a strange field of flowers. It made a half circle around the field before entering the woods again on the other side. The field was filled with flowers, all of one kind. The blossoms were yellow with red markings on the petals. They were quite fetching, and the jewel-like hummingbirds flying from flower to flower completed a scene of innocence. Occasionally, the hummingbirds would alight on white rocks that were scattered among the flowers. It was my intention to walk through the field to the other side. I thought that it would be pleasant to walk through the flowers and smell their perfume. However, as I was about to step off the path, Torn shouted a warning. I stood there, one foot raised, keeping perfectly still, unsure what he was warning me of. I wondered if there might be a snake, or perhaps a small wyvern near my feet that I could not see. Torn told me to step back, and I did so, still wondering what was wrong. I did not see, nor hear, nor smell anything that seemed to represent danger. He took a stick and lightly brushed one of the flowers. He pulled it back, and I saw several black specks on its length. Looking more closely, I realized that they were ants. They were normal-sized, as ants go, but they had strangely large jaws. They had bitten into the stick and were curled so that their stingers were pressed into the wood. There were only a dozen on the stick, though, and I wondered why they were so dangerous. Then I glanced back at the plant Torn had brushed, and it was covered in the insects. They moved all along its length, and a few were even venturing onto the path, making Torn step back. I did the same. An ant garden. Gardener ants, Pseudomerma topiaria, have a symbiotic relationship with the swarming lily. Lilius Nothus. When an ant colony moves into a field, they bring with them seeds of the lily. They plant several lilies and begin cutting down other plants nearby. Other ants go afield and simply collect seeds which the colony feeds on while the lilies grow. This goes on until the lilies have taken over the entire field. Once the lilies are well established, they begin producing a special nectar for the ants which makes up the bulk of their diet from then on. The lilies also provide shade and protection from predators. Hummingbirds are the only creatures capable of feeding from the flowers, hovering and moving too quickly for the ants to swarm. Ternos Natler, who first described and named the two species, described them thus. A more perfect example of mutualism I have never seen nor any species so dedicated to the protection of another. I hope they go extinct. 
Ternos was never one for proper scientific detachment. Round little cousins of the bee, mark your footsteps carefully, Torn said. They would strip your carcass bare to fertilize those flowers there. Nothing left except your bones, used by birds as stepping stones. I realized that what I had taken for white rocks were in fact the bones of other animals that had made the same mistake I had. If Torn had not warned me, I... Well, I suspect I would have been alright. I have a very tough hide, and it would not have taken more than a few bites before I would have realized what happened. It still would have been very unpleasant, and I'm glad that he was there. We passed the field over after that. I wish that I had dared to pluck a blossom from the field. Those flowers were so very pretty. A Wanderer's Guide to First Aid in the Library, Common Areas Welcome, Wanderer. It's safe to assume you're a new arrival to the library. You might be a bit confused why the medical team has bothered to write up an entire pamphlet if this is meant to be a safe place. Violence may not be tolerated, but that's not to say you won't befall any unfortunate circumstances. Worry not. We have a team of top-notch professionals to tend to any ailments you may acquire in your stay here. But why visit a doctor's office if you can avoid getting sick in the first place? That's why we're here, to help you navigate your way through the world of multiversal medicine. Following, you'll find a list of the most common afflictions wanderers have faced during their visits, as well as some of their treatments. Alphabet Amoebas Have you ever been staring at a page of your favourite book just for the words to begin to blur together? Perhaps you've had to reread a paragraph multiple times before you understood the meaning or remember what you just read. If this has happened to you, it may be due to something more than a tired mind. These microscopic terrors tend to dwell on the surfaces of commonly read books and tomes and are absorbed through the skin of patrons who come in contact with them. The confusion they cause is a result of the amoebas emitting a psychic pulse, interfering with one's comprehensive abilities regarding written language. As the brain tries to compensate for the confusion by firing off more electrical signals through the nervous system, the alphabet amoebas take the opportunity to convert the charge into a form of nutrition. The alphabet amoeba is a species common across many planes of reality and is commonly found in libraries or other places of learning. Thankfully, their common appearances have led to extensive studies and treatment options. A sufficiently loud sound is the most common treatment as it breaks the amoeba's cell walls, killing them. So plug in those earbuds and get those tunes pumping. Just be sure not to disturb your fellow patron if you feel treatment is needed. Be warned that the signs are often easy to ignore and thus treatment can be delayed. But prolonged exposure 
can cause permanent cognitive impairment. Leg rust. Finding a comfy place to get some quality reading done after a long day can feel like a dream come true. But if you find yourself having trouble getting up, it may be something more than a desirable spot. Leg rust is the common phrase used to refer to the rust-brown, mucus-like substance secreted by furniture mimics, or on very rare occasions found as a naturally occurring phenomenon on older fixtures in the library. Often presenting as numbness in the limbs, some patrons have described this feeling as pins and needles, leg rust is only noticeable once it enters its end stages of solidification. This sticky substance, when applied to the inner bend of joints such as legs or wings, can greatly limit mobility, making the victim an easy target. Unfortunately, leg rust is responsible for the disappearance of more than a few unaware patrons. Thankfully, leg rust takes a long time to form, often requiring several hours to thicken to any substantially dangerous viscosity. So, before sitting down, be sure to check your seat. We can't recommend you try to harm any of the local wildlife, but a quick wipe down of your futon is more than appreciated. A clean library is a happy library after all. Keeping those extremities covered is a quick way to prevent a case of leg rust, as most fabrics interfere with the solidifying process. Removing the filth is as easy as wiping it away with warm, salinated water or relying on heat to bake the rust to a hardened form and peeling the crust away. Paper cuts. We've all had them. They're small, sting like hell, and are a general nuisance. So you may be thinking, Dr. Ray, why are you bringing up such a mundane injury? Because, my dear reader, this is far from a mundane place. Due to the nature of some of the reading material here, be they magical, cursed, or otherwise beyond simple paper, a cut can lead to some rather serious injuries. From reading a book on fire magic and lighting your finger ablaze, to enjoying a story on space and the intricacies of interplanar travel, only to cut off your pinky and leave it stranded in another dimension. We've seen some pretty crazy incidents over the centuries caused by paper cuts. We have band-aids to cover those physical injuries, but please take your time to read your books. Sometimes being a speed reader can be a speedy way to an injury. Dream Chaser Syndrome It's easy to get lost in thought sometimes, isn't it? To have the mind wander to places beyond our reach. But have you considered what might happen if you couldn't find your way back? Common among those with strong psychic abilities and magically inclined patrons, Dream Chaser Syndrome is the term used to refer to a soul that has detached from its still-living body. No one is quite sure why this happens, but many have theorized the cause is linked to a strong disconnect between the actions of the patient's body and their thoughts. The body continues to function as normal, albeit in a dazed and unresponsive manner. Curiously, the souls of the afflicted are often unaware of any change, simply going about their business they were attending to a moment before. For an outside viewer, it can be quite a shock to see. 
if the spirit is still near the body, simply alerting them to the situation should suffice. The soul can re-enter its host body without complications. In other cases, intense physical pain or similar stimulation may provide enough of a jolt to drag the soul back into the body from long distances, though this procedure should preferably be done by a medical professional. So ask your nearest page to guide you to one of our numerous offices. Patrons of the spectral persuasion should stay alert and focused on their current activity, as coming down with a case of dream chaser syndrome can often lead to fatal consequences due to the nature of the conscience separation without a physical body. On the chance a soul does not return to its body in an orderly fashion, a 72-hour waiting period will be observed, after which the still-living body may be used as a surrogate body for other lost souls. If you wish to opt your body out of this procedure, please fill out the appropriate form at the front desk. Bodies of patrons who opt out will be handled with respect and buried with due diligence. Voila! You are now that much more prepared to enjoy your time in the library. We do hope you keep yourself and others safe in your time here. This pamphlet was just a general notice, so be sure to look out for other first aid guides as you enter different sections of the library. Each section has its own unique troubles to look out for and specific guides that cover them. So with our help, you'll be just fine. Happy reading! This pamphlet is for general instruction only. The Wanderer's Library takes no official responsibility for any disease, natural illness or similar sickness a patron may contract in their stay here. Please consult your healthcare provider if you have any questions about the contents of this guide or schedule an appointment with one of our physicians today. Thank you for listening. The Journal of Aphromos Long Journey is written by Dr. Everett Mann. You can browse Dr. Mann's articles and the other works of the library at wanderers-library.wiki.com. This production is possible in large part because of our sponsors. John Beattie, Yesenia, Crowcat, Rounder House, Land2D, and John Winfield. Check the description to find out how to support this channel and future projects like this. This production and content relating to the Wanderer's Library is licensed under Creative Commons Sharealike 3.0 and all concepts originate from the Wanderer's Library wiki and its authors. This recording, being derived from this content, is hereby also released under Creative Commons Sharealike 3.0. I'm Grigori Carpin from Simply Creative People, the podcast where we discuss GOIs, canons, and stories from the SCP Wiki, and we try to recommend things for all fans of the Wiki, new and old. Look for us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Visit the show page at anchor.fm slash simply-creative-people, or follow us on Twitter at S-I-M-C-R-E-A-T. Hey there, this is DJ Skip, host of Foundation After Midnight Radio, coming to you from the only third shift broadcast for personnel, by personnel. Be sure to tune in wherever you listen to podcasts to not miss out on containment news and community announcements from within the Foundation.